we know that the mindset of the older generations in policymaking wouldn't change anytime soon because they're really focused about money and economy. But the newer generation has a different perspective. We know what's at stake for us. Welcome to Pod of the Planet, a podcast about our changing planet and what we're doing to manage that change. Today we have some a couple special guests. This is actually the first time I think I've talked to two people at the same time. So uh, welcome guys. Welcome Cassie Shu, who is the Director of Office and Education and Outreach at the Earth Institute, and to Juan Lopez, who is a researcher at AC4. And quickly, AC4 is the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. <laughs> Um, so welcome guys. How are you? Thank you. Doing well, Q. Thanks for having us. Hi, Q. I'm doing very well. And thanks for having us here. Great. And this episode is focused on education and, and youth leadership, uh, specifically. And later on, we get an opportunity to hear from, from two students, two young high school students, uh, Cassie, who are, who are the students again? Yeah, so the high school students you're going to hear from um, are Lily, who goes to Grace Church High School in New York City, and she lives in Brooklyn, and uh, Sophia, who lives in McLean, Virginia, actually, and she just actually finished high school. And so we're going to be listening and hearing about some of the efforts that they've uh, spearheaded in their own high schools. Right. And they're really remarkable uh, young people and just their enthusiasm and yeah, it just, it's super inspiring for even old people like me. Um, I don't know how you guys, <laughs> like when, when you talk to young people, uh, I, I feel like uh, the only young person I get to talk to these days is my five-year-old kid. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, I, can, I always think about like, what was I doing at that age? And it was nothing what um, young people are doing today. And, and Joanne, you're, you're in a great position because your research is on, um, I guess, fostering youth leadership and, and getting young people motivated. Do you want to just give me a quick, uh, you know, idea of what that, what that means or how you, how do you go about doing that? So, so yes, Q, I work with, um, youth leaders, um, focusing especially in South America, in, in Medellin, Colombia. And, and it is really interesting because the, the way my work is framed is as if my work makes youth leaders more enthusiastic um, about the work that they are doing, but it's actually the opposite. Mm. The enthusiasm works um, comes more from the youth leaders with whom I work um, than from my work towards that. So the work at AC4 uh, with youth leaders, leaders um, that, that we have done doesn't only focus on in Medellin, Colombia, but we have been able to extend it mostly through pedagogical approaches to youth leaders from around the world in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, Central and Western Africa, Europe, and also other parts of the Americas. Is there a common thread that you find uh, with all the youth from the different places that you've worked with them? Well, I think one is that there is this as it were, dissatisfaction with how the older generations have dealt with pressing problems. So it is almost a critique 
um, in, in, a, in, a, in a good way, in a productive, uh, constructive way of older generations and this enthusiasm to, to, make it, to make it better, to resolve some of those unresolved issues by prior um, generations. That's, that's, that's great. So does that mean, do you, do you have like an age range of usually when that happens? Do I have some time with my own kid before she starts expressing her dissatisfaction? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's usually, um, I mean, the, the, the youth with whom I work are mostly between 17, 16, 17 and 28. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So we definitely have some time there. Yes, um, and, and so Cassie, I, I so this is, uh, I mean, obviously hugely important and you've been, you've developed a model already for teaching, uh, not only students, but also educators, uh, mm-hmm. about climate change and sustainability issues. And you've, uh, over the summer, you, ha- you started an amazing innovative program for K through 12, um, education. Can you uh, just talk a little bit about that? Sure. So it's really made up of two components. One is more for general student and teacher audiences. And then the other was specifically for K-12 teachers who are working in classrooms to bring more climate change uh, content into their classrooms. I would say that both uh, programs, one sort of EI Live K-12 and the other is EI Teach, um, both really have have similar overarching goals of just trying to bring our content from the Earth Institute across the Earth Institute's numerous centers who are all Mm -hmm. doing such great work into the classrooms and learning remotely um, and figuring out how we can do that remotely but effectively has really been um, a great learning process for us as well. We hear from teachers, we hear from students, and we hear from parents uh, just how about how important all of this is. And so that motivates us to continue putting uh, programs out there. Yeah, no, and I, I love uh, how it's been broken down. You have such a, a wide variety of, of topics you're covering from, I know, fish in the Hudson to tree rings and, mm-hmm. and so forth, and really tapping into the expertise at, at the Earth Institute. Um, the one question I had, I know this is K through 12 education. I'm, I'm curious, have the teachers ever asked or talked about like when, if it is ever too early to teach about climate change and, and some of these really heavy topics, uh, you know, like... Do they ever ask you like how to broach some of these things with some, I guess, sensitivity? Absolutely. That came up quite a bit in our sessions for K to five educators. Mm. A lot of them had talked about, I, you know, they want to bring this content into their classrooms, but it's really hard because a lot of the content that's out there is very much doom and gloom. And that's yeah. no way to approach this subject with very young students. <laughs> and so for the earlier, um, earlier grade levels, specifically K to five, we had talked to the teachers about ways to introduce um, more uh, it was more about observations and understanding the environment around you and how mm. it's changing as opposed to talking specifically about, you know, increased carbon emissions, um, sea level rise uh, are, you know, having to move and having to rebuild because of destruction and chaos and disasters. So it was more about introducing them to just understand 
the environment around them today versus, um, you know, a couple of years ago and not necessarily going into paleo climate with those younger students, Mm -hmm. just to have a uh, give them that understanding that there are things to pay attention to, make observations, understand and question uh, the environment around them. Yeah, I can imagine even some of these being important or maybe even, uh, I guess, interesting for parents, too. And mm-hmm. and I, I was just thinking back last year when schools were still open, I was sitting in my uh, kids uh, pre-K class and they were asking me what I, you know, what I do. And I was trying <laughs> to think of a, a really simple way of, of, of explaining it um, without <laughs> without uh, sending, I don't know kids home crying or anything like that. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that, so that, that's great. And, and I, you know, like I said, this is all very hugely important work and, and this is a uh, leading up to uh, what's happening in the fall, right? You got your, you have some more programs in, in installed uh, in, in line. Um, can you get, tell us what, what's happening then? Sure. We're super excited about these. Uh, so we are going to be, uh, Earth Institute is going to be offering non-degree programming under the Earth Institute umbrella. And it's going to involve, again, all the centers across the Institute, which is close to two dozen or so research centers. Um, we're going to be offering professional learning. So for working adults and professionals and pre-college programs that are specifically for high school students. and. Under uh, pre-college programs, we are going to offer two sessions and uh, we have some exciting content. And all of this is to, you know, in all of our non-degree programs, what we want to ensure is that our audience gets to engage with leading scientists in climate and sustainability and sustainable development in small workshop settings. We want our audience to have a better understanding of the science behind the headlines and talk through through the latest research uh, with our experts and really um, just be part of the solution um, Mm -hmm. to climate change challenges. And and we have one of those experts here on, on our call again. <laughs> Haven't forgotten about you, John. Uh, do you want to tell us about the uh, program that you're going to be instructing? Yes, sure. So the program uh, really draws from an experience um, that we had where we constructed a two-week leadership for youth program um, with six months of coaching. And what we're trying to do this fall is to to draw from this program, draw from the tools, from the methods, the technologies, which include uh, psychosocial psychosocial um, preparation, mm-hmm. communication skills, and something that is central is to approach sis- system change or system transformation through the lens of system systems thinking. Um, at the core of this is this idea of understanding ourselves uh, or setting the conditions in where we can understand ourselves as self, as instrument for change. So throughout these tools that we will be um, sharing with, with students in, in the workshop, um, they will start to comprehend their own agency, uh, to acknowledge their own agency to make social transformations in their most immediate uh, locations or, 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 or um, internationally. Mm-hmm. And as part of this, we also 
uh, are interested in sharing some of the best practices uh, that are being executed by youth leaders uh, right. from different places of the world so that they are taking almost as, as models. Yeah. I mean, it, that sounds, it sounds fantastic. And I just imagine myself, if I were um, a teacher or a, or a high school student, you know, the, the times that we're living in right now, um, we, we've ramped up these, these programs online because obviously we're, most of us are, are at home um, and, and, and spending lots of time in front of the computer and the fact that we are able to um, offer these things and access to, like you said, the top researchers in their field um, is, 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 is great. And it's a, it's such a boon for, for lots of people. And, and I, and I hope that people really take advantage of it. There's, there's, you know, we're, we're going through a pandemic um, where there's a huge hurricane that's hitting uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> Louisiana and Texas coast right now, as we speak. Um, the wildfires are continue to rage on and the Black Lives Matter movement grows every day, not only shining a light on police brutality, but also on the systemic racism that exists throughout society and the disproportionate effects the climate crisis has on people of color and the lack of representation they have in the geosciences. Um, you know, it's important that we have people that can help put, you know, make sense of all these things and, and put them in context, especially people who are really motivated and, and uh, really thank you guys uh, for, for putting all these things together. No, it's great. We, we love doing this. And I, I actually want to add a little comment to Joan's, uh, I want to pick up on the agency comment. I think it's, it's really important. Um, and I think one of the best ways that we can involve youth is to bring them into the, the conversation to make them feel that no matter how young, that they also play a very important role in everything related to climate change. Um, anyway, any methods, any kind of activity, any participation that we can uh, think through to get them involved. You know, not everyone is going to be uh, a Greta Thunberg, but that's okay, uh, because I think we all have important roles to play and youth have such great ideas. And like Joanne said, I'm always inspired after I talk to students working on both grassroots initiatives, um, as well as perhaps school-wide or community-wide initiatives. Uh, and it's always great to, to hear from them. And so I think it's really important that we bring their voices into our conversation. And I think a lot of times uh, our, our researchers and experts um, could really benefit from learning from youth as well. And I think it's a, it's a two-way conversation and I'm really excited that we get to offer them this opportunity. You just, I, I would just, just like to add something quickly Yeah. Uh, about your comment um, on the current circumstances. We have a pandemic, um, there are hurricanes, fires, etc. But it's interesting when you speak to youth leaders that in fact, giving under this, given these current circumstances, the harsh circumstances, it seems as this gives them and people in general impetus to actually work harder in order to resolve these issues at a systemic level, um, given that some of these environmental issues are really the product of our, for the lack of a better expression, bad relationship with the environment historically. Excellent. And um, with that, let's just get into those interviews you did with to the two high school students Great. And, and, and take it from there. Excellent. Thanks so much again, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. So why don't we start, um, if you could introduce yourself, uh, just let us know a little bit about yourself, where you go to school, um, and perhaps share 
with us um, when you first started becoming really interest, interested in your climate change activities within your school. Yeah. So, hi, my name is Lily and I live in Brooklyn, New York. I am currently a junior and go to Grace Church High School. My involvement in climate activism started when I joined the Green Club in ninth grade. Ever since, I've become more aware of the reality we live in. I was no longer concerned about talking about my houseplants, about how much I love nature, or how recycling is a great thing to do. Now I want to be a part of the driving force of young activists who demand change. Through the Green Club, I've met so many people through climate-focused workshops and conferences. I was able to participate in marches and rallies. New to this year, the club has been setting up a climate table, sort of like a pop-up station for multiple purposes. We had set up a climate table to raise money for the communities affected by the Australian bushfires. We had set up a climate table to inform and convince our school community to take a plastic use pledge. And this was all thanks to our sustainability coordinator who has shown immense support throughout the years of the Green Club. And it really did start when I was in ninth grade. Great. Um, can you talk a little bit about the makeup of that Green Club? Um, you know, is it a mix of different grade levels? Um, you mentioned there's a sustainability coordinator. Um, and do you think, you know, the uh, what the group size is like? Yeah, definitely. So when I joined, the club had about four people. Um, and it wasn't so bad because... Our school is pretty new as well, okay. um, but it was like a great start. So in 10th grade, we had around five or six, but then as seniors graduate, we lose numbers and then we get new people. And currently this year, we have, I would say, up to 10 people. Great. And are you in touch with other green clubs at other schools? And have there been talks between you guys to, you know, think about uh, doing activities together? Yes. So um, there is an interschool green team meeting that is currently going on or was before the pandemic. But we've had a solid three meetings so far. It's uh, between it's like the high schools in Manhattan, Hewitt, um, Town. Grace Church, um, a few more out there. And we've, in our meetings, we've been joining um, the co-leaders of each green club at each school. And we've just been brainstorming a lot of ideas about how we're going to keep on recruiting people and keep this force moving. Mm -hmm. Um, We've set up a... um, We meet every Tuesday after school, once about every, once in about every three weeks to discuss um, what we could do. We, uh, since Grace Church has a beehive, we were thinking we're going to invite all the other schools to come and visit our beehives and learn about how bees have a major impact in our environment. And then we're discussing 
that we could host like a a fashion thing, um, like a clothing swap, so that um, because we know like it takes a lot of energy to produce clothes, why don't we swap unwanted apparel for things that we do want, so that we don't have to throw everything out all the time. Great. Yeah, I think that's really great. And, you know, instead of I love hearing about um, I think it's really important that students are not only talking to adults, but they're talking to each other and trying to figure out um, ways that they can really, you know, drive the activities forward and really move the needle and um, really make sort of this this movement um, their own, because I think it's really important that youth voice is is as as much um, part of this process as adults and, and policymakers. So it's really great to hear that uh, you're all talking to each other. I think that's fantastic. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit um, and talk a little bit about um, climate change in your school in a classroom setting. Um, do you think that that's something that is being taught across your subjects? Uh, do you think it's actually things that you hear about um, in your in your classrooms? Do your teachers talk to students about it, or is it? mostly reserved sort of for, for science classrooms or, um, you know, for after-school clubs like the, the Green Club. Um, yeah. So it seems that our school has made climate talk optional. Okay. Um, there isn't really a required class that we all have to take. It's more, um, well, the environment class and... Um, I haven't taken those classes because I'm in the green club, but those classes are reserved for electives. So people take them only if they want to. And I don't think that's enough. And the green club is of course a club. It's only for people who really want to like join. It's not required for people. Mm -hmm. On Wednesdays, we do have a, um, class period where we talk about sustainability but that's one semester in one grade and I think it's in ninth or tenth grade but I don't think a lot is being done in it people just say oh I have to do a small project so I'm going to make a poster and put it in the bathroom say "Uh, (laughs) so so many paper towels and that is it that's 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 something, but I don't think it's enough. I think that they're just doing something to fill up the class time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, one of the things I think I hear um, quite a bit from students is that, you know, climate change is, is such an important issue and future generations are going to see it, um, feel the impacts more than, you know, adults um, today, and yet we don't really see it in schools. Um, And a lot of schools focus, you know, on sustainability, which is great, and, you know, recycling programs. Um, But I think there's, there's definitely more room for, um, for climate change content in, in the classroom and out of the classroom and kind of tying everything together. Um, Because I think it's, it's hard to, just talk about sustainability without talking and sustainability initiatives without talking about climate change. 
you know, from as someone who's still in high school, um, why is climate change such a critical issue for you? Um, you know, why do you take it very seriously? Um, and how do you talk about it with your friends to try to make them take it more seriously? Um, climate change is a very critical issue for youth now because if we don't step up, then there is no one else who will. Mm -hmm. um, we know that the mindset of the older generations in policymaking wouldn't change anytime soon because they're really focused about money and economy, but the newer generation has a different perspective. We know what's at stake for us. And um, I think that currently economy is seen as um, profit and businesses when economy is actually about how we use and distribute resources effectively. And that really, that definition really needs to come back because our resources our water, our planet, how we take care of the earth and our actions. It's not about the profit. And I don't think the older generations have a reason to care about the environment. They, they care about profit a lot more. So I think we have to do something to let them know, snap out of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you are, you're very busy. You have a very strong uh, sort of extracurricular set of activities. What do you do for fun? For fun? Um, I really like to get outside, yeah. um, especially because I live um, very close to the coast. I would go out with my uncle running or biking. Um, I like to skateboard and rollerblade a lot. I love nice. swimming. Um, and I love spending time with my cousins. I haven't seen them in a while. So I've yeah. recently learned chess. Been oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think my, my last question, um, you know, would, what sort of inspires you is clear that you very much care about the environment and the the world that you will live in when you grow up. Um, and you know, I'm curious, do you have role models that you look to um, and who or what are you in, inspired by? Um, it's, I don't really have like a big role model out there, but it really starts small when I was very young. I really love stuffed animals and I still do today. And my favorite animal was the polar bear. But oh, yeah. <laughs> people would say, oh, put yourselves in each other's shoes, care for each other. But I would put myself in the shoes of polar bears. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it's too hard for me to swim nine days in a row for food because I can't find a block of ice to stand on. Right. That's where it really came from. That's when I realized oh, even though I'm small, I care about polar bears and therefore I'm going to care about the climate. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I really love plants in general and I love watching them grow on my windowsills. And it all has to do with nature versus humans. Mm -hmm. How are we going to 
save that balance. And I've been in, in this whole climate um, activism since then. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. And it's very inspiring for, for me to hear that from such a young person. Um, and I think, I think it's great. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Um, well, enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you again for taking the time to do this. You as well. I think um, it would be great um, to kick off with just a brief introduction um, about yourself, you know, where you go to school um, and, you know, what sort of inspired you to really become very passionate about climate change and climate change um, activism. Sure. So I'm Sophia Kiani. I am an 18-year-old climate and environmental activist. I am a senior at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. And really the way that I became involved in environmental advocacy is in middle school, I took a trip to Iran, which is my parents' home country. And I saw that the pollution in Iran was so bad that I couldn't even see the stars at night. And that's really when I tried to start educating those around me about the environmental crisis and the climate crisis. Okay, great. Um, and what kinds of activities are you involved in um, at school, whether it's um, extracurricular um, or, uh, or through your own free time? Um, these are, I think you can talk about climate change, um, ad advocacy activities, um, and you know, I know you're also doing a lot of outreach and speaking at different events. So if you could just give me a, a quick overview of the kinds of things you're involved in, that'd be great. Definitely. So I work primarily with Fridays for Future USA, This is Zero Hour, and Extinction Rebellion, uh, which are three different like climate organizations and movements. And uh, in school, I usually have a uh, study hall um, on Wednesdays and Fridays, and I always use that period to take conference calls and just to um, use that time for my climate advocacy, really. And so uh, in terms of like speaking engagements and different things that I've been doing, so a lot of the things that I want to do are very awareness and education based. And because of that, uh, I had a plan before the coronavirus crisis to be going to multiple different universities like Princeton and Stanford and Duke, uh, really, so I could talk about the youth climate movement, what we're doing and uh, why we want people to get involved. And so my plans have been delayed by about a year, but I actually did... Um, Two days ago for uh, Michigan Tech at the World Water Day, I spoke digitally and I was their youth keynote speaker. So that was really interesting. Um, and so it really showed me that even with the coronavirus crisis, a lot of the things that we are doing have been transitioned to digital advocacy and it's still been really effective. So, yeah. Fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about the three organizations that you and the movements that you're primarily involved in. Sure. So starting with uh, This is Zero Hour. So I work on their national partnerships team. So I take different calls for uh, different organizations that want to be partners with us. Um, and like, for instance, I organized this um, campaign that we had with the sustainable fashion brand, ADIF New York City. And so we had a photo shoot with them and uh, Bernie Sanders, senior media producer. And then we released those on social media. So that was really cool. So a lot of the things that we're doing is just like finding different nonprofits and brands and organizations to work with um, in a like nice collaborative way. And then with Fridays for Future USA, 
I'm really working as like a national strategist. So a lot of what we're doing right now is restructuring, figuring out what we're going to do for Earth Day uh, and just finding like creative ways to help out local branches and to get people involved. And then for Extinction Rebellion, um, I was recently invited to become an international spokesperson for them. Uh, So I'm... Yeah, so I'm very much involved in like their media and messaging and outreach, especially because um, at least for like the XRDC branch, I'm the youngest member. And also, um, we really want to have young women involved. So I guess I really like would like to help with that with outreach and getting other young people involved and energized about uh, climate change awareness. Excellent. That's a lot of different, um, different areas you're working in. Um, In your in your work, um, both you know, in school and through these organizations, um, have you gotten a chance to meet really interesting people? Um, and if so, can you think about a time where you met someone um, that you really uh, were inspired by, or that you were um, that you learned a lot from? Um, I definitely think when I met Jane Bonda, I met her two times and it was just so amazing meeting her, especially my parents were like, oh my gosh, like she's such a hero for us. Like we met from so long ago. Um, Yeah. So she was so inspiring. It was so nice to see, you know, um, someone from her generation being just as passionate about the climate movement as, you know, like our younger generation is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was a really, really interesting experience. We even had like a meeting with her where uh, she wanted to talk about how, like, so she was in D.C. for a couple months, but now she's back in L.A. And so she wanted to see really how uh, she could continue the movement and give us the resources that she really built while in D.C. Uh, so she was just such an amazing adult ally. And it was so, so cool meeting her. That's awesome. Yeah, for a while, I didn't realize how much of a climate change sort of um, activist she was. And and then I think through various uh, social media platforms, um, you know, quotes and actions that she was actually taking. It wasn't just, you know, she pledged um, her words to something. It was that she was actually um, taking really concrete actions um, and using her um, voice and power as someone who's a celebrity, um, but who's also just a very aware citizen um, to really spread uh, the message. So I, I really, I, I definitely respect her for that. And that's super cool that you got to meet her. Yeah, because especially because I think she really shows our message of like harnessing and using your privilege, just because that's something I've really been thinking about um, with my involvement with XR. So a lot of our stuff's like, so she got arrested multiple times while she was protesting. Yeah. <laughs> And like, so for someone like me getting arrested is a lot harder just because I'm a student, like I was applying for colleges. And so an arrest would be something that, you know, would like adversely affect my future. But for her, since she's like such a public figure, uh, getting arrested, like wouldn't harm or like affect her future, obviously. So she really harnessed her privilege in such an amazing way. And it was like so nice to watch. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I'm going to shift gears a, a little bit. Um, I'm curious to hear, um, you know, you do all these wonderful things outside of school. Um, and I'm curious um, for your particular school, you know, it's a science and technology school. Um, do you think, are you getting um, sort of climate change content in different classrooms? Are you seeing that it's part of the curriculum? Is it being integrated into the curriculum? Um, and is it being done sort of across different subjects? Or is it still very much a, a science 
um, related thing? And do you think there's enough of sort of climate change education within schools and within classrooms? So I know that for uh, TJ, we are all required to take geosystems honors our senior year. So that's currently what I'm taking. And I mean, I absolutely love my teacher. She's a PhD. She really knows her stuff. Yeah. And I've really learned a lot from her class. Um, So I think it's really great that they do mandate that we have to be in her class uh, and that we have to really like learn about earth systems. Um, I'm not sure about other schools, but I do think that definitely, I think every school should incorporate uh, some sort of like climate change curriculum into their course of studies as like something that's mandatory, just because it is something that really affects like every walk of life. Um, And also I think that geosystems really is the only class that we have at my school where we can learn about um really like the environment and climate uh, like change but because i know that i know there's ap environmental science but my school actually doesn't offer ap environmental science which i think is kind of counterintuitive especially because we are like a science and technology school so we have you know like a multivariable calculus we have like neurobiology but for some reason we don't wow. have, yeah ap environmental science which always for me was something really surprising how do you try to, how do you talk to your friends about the, the work that you do? You know, um, not everyone um, is, not everyone, one, is as active, is, it would consider themselves and be very proud to call themselves an activist or a climate change activist. So I'm curious um, how you talk mm-hmm. to your friends, um, your peers, people your own age, um, as well as adults about the work that you do. Um, you know, there's a lot of climate change uh, skeptics out there, but there's also, um, you know, students who wouldn't necessarily think about calling themselves a climate change uh, activist um, or an advocate for um, environmental issues in any way. So I'm curious um, what approach or strategy you use when you talk to these individuals. Um, So really, I would say that I think I'm pretty lucky in that all of my friends and family around me really do believe in climate change. And especially with my influence, they think that it's something that's really important. But when I do deal with um, people who don't believe in climate change, I honestly really always try to be respectful because I think a lot of it does come from a place of like a lack of education um, and ignorance. Like I don't think people are like willfully trying to tell me that like what I'm saying is false or doesn't make sense. And so you know, like I always tell them that it, it really is important. Like, you know, there are so many resources you can use to educate yourself. Um, I don't want to be patronizing. I don't want to say like, you need to listen to me. I'm right. Like you're wrong, even though that really is the reality. Um, I just really do try to be respectful, but sometimes you need to just, uh, I guess, resign yourself to the fact that some people really won't listen to you, no matter how hard you try and convince them of something. So in my opinion, it makes more sense for me to direct my efforts and my time and my energy into um, getting people who are more apathetic towards the climate crisis so they believe that climate change is real, but they're not really acting or doing anything to um, try and do their part in making sure that like we actually get climate legislation passed or like raising awareness. I think those are the best people really to target. Like my friends who, you know, like they think climate change is real, but they're not really doing anything. I think those are the best people for me to go, hey, like this is something I've been working on for the past few months. Like I'm really passionate about it. Do you want to come to a strike with me? Like, do you want to really help me with like a project I'm doing? Like, would you like to learn more about this? I would love to work with you. 
what are some sort of exciting things you have on the on the horizon with with your projects? Are there things that you're really looking forward to? Are there big goals that you want to hit in the next year or two? Yeah, so one of the most exciting things for me is so I've been planning on like launching my own climate organization for a while now. And so I officially, um, the International Student Environmental Coalition, uh, accepted my project as a fiscal project for them. And so we're going to be launching. Yeah, so I'm so excited. We're going to be launching in like the next few weeks, probably. So I officially uh, can use their nonprofit status to give students um, community service hours. And so I'm really, really excited about that. It's going to be amazing. Um, So really what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be using students as volunteers to translate climate information, climate science uh, into different languages so that it's easily accessible to anyone who doesn't speak English. And I'm going to be using them to um, send this information into other countries so that they can really educate their relatives about the climate crisis and the environmental crisis really the same way that I did with my relatives in Iran. That's fantastic. And are you going to be looking for sort of uh, student volunteers? Is it going to be mostly local in the DC area or is it national? What, What are your hopes with it? Um, My hopes for this are definitely that it would be like something global. Um, I know that uh, ISAC, they have over 15,000 people globally. Yeah, so that was like one of the main reasons I really was so excited that this is something that like they wanted to take under their wing. Um, So I'm really hoping to like utilize their network so I can really like reach a huge uh, audience. And then also, of course, like I know especially the students in my area, like a lot of them need community service hours for like National Honor Society and things like that. And so I would 100% love those students, really any students who want to be involved to uh, really, you know, like give me a message, like email us. And uh, that way they can just come on board and they can like, if they speak another language, then they can translate that into their language so that they can share it with like their friends and family who might not be as fluent in English. That's fantastic. So, you know, you do so much of this this work. Um, I always like to ask people, you know, what do you when do you actually have time to just be a teenager and, and have fun? And what do you like to do in that free time if you have any free time? Um, I honestly do have free time a lot. I think it's just that um, when you're passionate about something, like when you're doing something like this, for me, it, it doesn't even seem like it's never a burden. It's very much like I always find time in my day to do this. And I always also find time in my day to spend time with friends and family. So I love to go out with my friends, you know, like go hiking, go out to eat. Uh, hang out at their houses, especially as a senior, knowing that I'm going to be leaving a lot of them next year and same with my family. So it's always just really nice. I just like to sit down and talk with them. uh, And I really always do make sure to prioritize them in my day. Thank you so much for including me. For sure. All right. Well, thank you. And you enjoy the rest of your day and your spring break. Of course. You too. I'll talk to you soon.